We in this country have seen many new faces. People from all parts of the British Commonwealth and Empire and from the Allied nations. These are among the last pictures to be taken in the capital of the Gold Coast. For when this day is over, Accra becomes the capital of Ghana, an independent nation within the Commonwealth. Hello everybody and welcome to Hello from Britain, the Black British History Podcast, a podcast focusing on histories of black British women in the 20th century. Now look, I owe all of you an apology. Back in January, January is when you last heard from me and I said that I'd be giving you podcasts once, twice a month. Well, I fumbled and I can only apologise. I fumbled because I was, over the past year, some of you who follow me on Twitter might be aware, I was studying at Harvard Law School and unfortunately after January um, a lot of things started hosting up including exams um, but we did alright in the end. I won a Dean Scholar Prize for one of the exams that I did but I'm very very sorry to leave you all hanging and to make it up to you I'm going to give you two episodes this June. So one episode this week, one episode next week, and two episodes in July to make up for it. So I'm very, very sorry to leave you hanging. It won't happen again. Just life, life took over. And it's interesting, actually, because during this podcast series, I have been doing two degrees. (laughs) I completed one degree in 2021 and now completed another degree in 2022. So you've seen me through everything. But I'm very, very sorry for the delay. I hope you're not too angry at me. And let's dive into the subject of today's podcast, which you would have seen in the episode title, which is Women and the Brixton Black Women's Group. When I left you in January, I'm sorry, I was talking about the British Black Power Movement and how some women within the movement felt disenfranchised. I provided you with a quote from the book, The Heart of the Race, which explained, quote, Some sisters felt very strongly that we should stick it out within the organisations and try to strengthen the women's position within them. But for most of us, setting up an autonomous group for black women was really necessary at the time. From the discussions we had, we were aware that there were issues that related to us particularly as black women, like women's work, our economic dependence on men and childcare, which we could organise around. It was a chance to put them on the top of the agenda for the first time. End quote. I then went on to talk briefly about the Brixton Black Women's Group and their advocacy for reproductive rights. And so in this episode, I thought I would do a deeper dive into who the women of the Brixton Black Women's Group were, what, were, what they were about, and what sort of activism their group did. So, women and the Brixton Black Women's Group. As explained in a 1984 article in Off Our Backs, an American women's news journal that existed from 1970 to 2008, the Brixton Black Women's Group formed in 1974 in the wake of the British Black Power Movement, as well as in the wake of the growing women's liberation movement. As a member of the Brixton Black Women's Group noted, quote, there was rampant racism in the women's liberation movement and no space in which to discuss it. And there was rampant sexism and marginalisation of women's issues in the black liberation movement, end quote. The Women's Liberation Movement, or WLM, was a second wave feminist group that sprung up in the late 20th century. So, many decades after women were granted voting rights in the Western world, a few decades after the contraceptive pill was invented, and a few years after the word sexism was coined. Sexism, according to Merriam-Webster, meaning prejudice or discrimination based on sex, most often discrimination against women. While similar movements existed in America, the UK movement can trace its origins to a conference in Oxford in 1970, where at least 600 women discuss the continuing negative effects of patriarchal society. Subverting common practice, while the women attended the conference, some of their male partners set up a creche and took care of their children. Among the many examples they pointed to, 
WLM women emphasise the need for equal pay, equal educational and job opportunities, free contraception and abortion on demand, and free 24-hour nurseries. These were ideas which, if implemented, would appear to benefit many women. Yet, at the 1970 WLM conference, there were only two black women in attendance. Two out of at least 600 women. One of the black women was a woman called Gerlin Bean. I'm saying it Gerlin because I can't seem to find uh, an accurate pronunciation. I'm not sure if it's Gerlin or Gerlin, but I'm saying I'm saying Gerlin. One of the black women was a woman called Gerlin Bean. I'm saying Gerlin. Um, apologies if it's Gerlin. I've never come across this name before and I can't seem to find a pronunciation for it online, but I'm assuming it's Gerlin. Gerlin Bean was born in Jamaica, which at the time was still a British colony. Her parents were farmers and after leaving school at 18, she decided to travel to the colonial metropole, London, at the age of 19 to study nursing in the year 1960. She did not identify as black British, explaining to a later interviewer that while she was in England, she identified as an immigrant. She trained as a psychiatric nurse and a general nurse, but by her early 30s, she was working as a youth worker. On her youth work, she had this to say in a 1970s interview with London-based feminist newsletter, Shrew. Quote, I'm doing work with adolescent girls and quite a bit of casework with families and their daughters. They're mostly West Indian families. They seem to be having more difficulties with their daughters. They are very religious, Catholics, and they don't want their daughters to go out. They keep locking them up. These girls, when they get about 15, want boyfriends and other friends. They want to go out in the evening, so the least chance they get, they run away from home. I try to find them. I see the girl and I talk to her and try to explain the difference between living in England and living in the West Indies and the generation gap between a 15-year-old and her mother." End quote. After attending the 1970 WLM Women's Liberation Conference, Gerlin remarked that the, quote, problems as black women are different, end quote. Therefore, she later went on to form the Black Women's Action Committee and then, in 1973, the Brixton Black Women's Group, alongside Olive Morris, Liz Obie, Beverly Bryan and Zainab Abbas. You might remember Olive Morris's name from an episode I did with another podcast called The History Hotline, where I spoke with the host, Diana, about histories of African-Caribbean solidarity. But if you don't remember, not to worry. Olive Morris, who unfortunately passed away of cancer at the age of 27, was born in Jamaica in 1952 and moved to the UK with her family at the age of nine. She was a committed feminist and anti-racist activist from a young age. Famously, at the age of 17, she was brutalised by the police after intervening to prevent unjust police treatment of a Nigerian diplomat. She later became a key figure in the British Black Panther movement, the Organisation for Women of Asian and African Descent, and, of course, the Bricks and Black Women's Group. Despite her untimely passing, I think her friends and the Remembering Olive Collective set up in 2008 have done a great job of keeping her memory alive. Her activism has featured in a Key Stage 2 history resource, her face has been featured on a Google Doodle, and artwork depicting her and her activism has been displayed across the UK. Liz, or Elizabeth Obie, is an activist and famously squatted alongside Olive Morris at 121 Railton Road in 1973. They put up a sign outside the property, which famously included the lines in all capital letters, quote, LEGAL WARNING. This property has been occupied by squatters, we intend to stay here. If you try to evict us, we will prosecute. You must deal with us through the courts. End quote. 
Beverly Bryan is a retired Jamaican academic. Born in Jamaica in 1949, she immigrated as a child to join her parents in Britain in the 1950s. Many such children who migrated to join their parents in England in the 1950s and 60s are today labelled as part of the, quote, Windrush generation. This has caused some academics to critique the Windrush generation label as the Empire Windrush arrived at Tilbury Docks in 1948 and many of the children today labelled as part of the Windrush generation arrived much, much later. Beverly Bryan grew up in Brixton, attending the same school as Olive Morris, before eventually graduating with a PhD from the University of London. She later returned to Jamaica to teach at the University of the West Indies, Mona Campus. She is one of the co-authors of the book, The Heart of the Race. Finally, Zainab Abbas was born in the north of England before becoming involved in anti-racist activism in Birmingham and London in the 1960s and 70s. In a BBC documentary, she noted that she first became aware of the Black Power movement when, quote, she snuck down to London, 67, when Stokely Carmichael was speaking. He was talking to us. He was talking to young black people. We've got nappy hair. We've got thick lips. We're black and we're beautiful, end quote. So the Stokely Carmichael event, the event I mentioned all the way back in the episode in January, clearly had an impact on her. It is noteworthy that in the same BBC documentary, Zainab Abbas noted that she is, quote, 70 years of age and born in Britain. And to this day, people ask me where I come from, end quote. So, Girl and Bean, Olive Morris, Liz Obi, Beverly Bryan and Zainab Abbas were the co-founders of the Brixton Black Women's Group. What I find interesting is that a number of these women seem to identify with their immigrant background and seem to identify more as being from Jamaica or other parts of the Commonwealth rather than British. With that in mind, it's also interesting that we're seeing more and more women towards the end of the 20th century involved in activism who are not of West Indian or West African heritage, such as women like Zainab Abbas. And as we will see in episodes to come, whilst many of the earlier groups we've looked at in this podcast series have focused a lot on international affairs, a lot of activists as we progress in the 20th century become more and more focused on domestic affairs. That's not to say that international affairs lack importance to activists later on in the 20th century, because after all, if you're Black and British today, you have immigrant heritage. Someone somewhere immigrated from somewhere, most likely in part of the 20th century. If you're Black and British today, it's likely that either your parent, your grandparent, or your great-grandparent was an immigrant. Yes, we can talk all about how there was an ivory bangled lady and there were black people in Roman Britain and there were black people in Victorian Britain and Elizabethan Britain and so on and so on. But the reality is that the vast majority of those black people are the ancestors of white people today. When we talk about the contemporary black British population, we're talking about the products of recent migration. And because black British people, black British women are the products of recent migration, it is unsurprising that international solidarity often forms a big part of black British movements. However, as I say, later on in the 20th century, as you will see, more and more of a focus becomes centred on um, things going on in the UK and issues impacting black people in the UK rather than issues impacting black people abroad. Other prominent members of the Brixton Black Women's Group, aside from Girl and Bean, Oliver Morris, Liz Obi, Beverly Bryan and Zainab Abbas, included women like Gail Lewis and Melba Wilson, a Californian expat. 
The Brixton Black Women's Group was originally just called the Black Women's Group, but after other Black Women's Groups started springing up all over the country, including in places like Leicester and Manchester, they decided to change the name to the Brixton Black Women's Group to make it clear which Black Women's Group they were. Among the many issues that the Brixton Black Women's Group discussed were reproductive rights, as I talked about in the last episode of the podcast, anti-imperialism, socialism, sexual harassment, immigration restrictions, parental rights and education, homophobia and sexuality, which they defined as being a more important issue to deal with than sexual orientation per se, because, quote, there is such a thing as sexual orientation that is produced from our social environment and our individual lives. But sexuality is wider than that. It is about gender. It is defined by gender. One of the things black feminism is doing is to actually say that we have to explore sexuality in a way that is much broader than our sexual preferences and sexual relationships, end quote. Another term they defined in a way very different to the way most people define today is blackness. For them, as well as other activist groups I'll talk about in later episodes, black meant people of both black and Asian descent. For American listeners, when talking about Asian women, the Brixton Black Women's Group were mostly referring to South Asian women. I say that because from my experience in Harvard, in the US, I've come to understand that when people in the US describe Asian people, they tend to be describing East Asian people, whereas people in the UK, when we talk about Asian people, we tend to be describing South Asian people. As a Brixton Black Women's Group member explained, quote, once we started saying we had to address the situation of black women in this country, Immediately, we had to turn to the question of Asian women who were organising in their own groups. This was the time when a major issue was deportation and street harassment. There was lots of police harassment and self-defence campaigns. This was also the time people of Asian descent migrated from Uganda. The same things were happening to Afro-Caribbeans and Asians. So black people must also mean Asian people. End quote. Therefore, While all of the co-founders of the Brixton Black Women's Group were black, and most of their members were black, they also had South Asian members. Having such an expansive definition of blackness, such as to include South Asian people, was known back in the day as political blackness. Due to the Brixton Black Women's Group's politically black stance, they organised around issues impacting South Asian women, such as virginity testing. That girl made noise about it, so that's how... The whole community knew about it. The girl was coming from India to get married to her husband over here. And she was tested whether she was a virgin or not. Uh, I don't think it's anybody else's business she was a virgin or not. Nothing to do with the law. Being a woman and being a black woman in this country, I felt very bad about that. I can also remember another lady who used to come to my center and she said her 15-year-old daughter and about 16 or 17-year-old son and herself, they were standing naked on the, in the, on the airport, I mean, we were in the room together and her daughter was crying because she didn't want to be naked in front of her brother. But that's what happened all the time and nobody even knew. And then we, most of the women in South Hall and some girls came from London to join in the demonstration we did uh, on London airport. And older people of the community also joined us and we shouted about it. For 
virginity test not only outraged Southall, I mean, it was much more upheaval in India. Every paper, every magazine covered that. And there was a first time a debate on immigration matters in Indian parliament. And Indian government took this matter in the Human Rights Commission of United Nations. And in two days, the Home Secretary had to announce to stop this shameful act which was going on at the airport, which we knew five, six years before, since 19, I would say, 1969. And we were complaining about it. The government always denied that it is not doing this sort of thing. So, as you heard in that clip, some South Asian women, particularly Indian women, arriving in Britain were victims of virginity testing. Per the immigration rules at the time, if you were coming to the UK to marry your fiancé within three months of your arrival, then you did not need a visa. However, if Heathrow officers didn't believe a woman who said she was entering the country to marry her fiancé, they would order her to undergo a virginity test, a pseudo-scientific test in which a woman's hymen would be inspected. In many circumstances, men were the ones conducting these tests on women. These tests appear to be based on the stereotypical view that South Asian women would never have had sex before marriage. As Joe Richardson, Labour MP for Barking, said in 1979, quote, Many tourists come to this country, Americans, Canadians, New Zealanders, Australians, and so on. If they are white, they come in properly as visitors. They are not questions. They are not rounded up after staying here for a month and shoved into Pentonville prison. But if they are black, they often are. End quote. The Labour Home Secretary said in response, quote, It is an unfortunate but undeniable fact that a proportion of those coming here attempt to do so by pretending to have qualifications under the rules which they do not have. They are not imagined deceptions. It was for this reason that an independent procedure was set up in the late 1960s. Such cases are known and experienced daily. It is therefore to be expected that, in a proportion of the cases coming before him, the immigration officer will suspect deceit and have to inquire into it. Nevertheless, as I have already made clear to the House, I considered the reports in this case and decided that immigration officers should not ask the medical inspector to examine passengers with a view to establishing whether they had borne children or had had sexual relations. Identical instructions have been given to posts overseas. End quote. Therefore, Following extensive protest, this practice of virginity testing was put to an end in 1979 and was made illegal, finally, in 2021. Yes, 2021. As well as protesting and handing out flyers against issues such as virginity testing, the Brixton Black Women's Group also produced a regular pamphlet known as Speak Out as a newsletter for their members. I've linked the entirety of issues one to four in the podcast notes, I'd recommend taking a look at the cover of issue two or Speak Out in particular. It's quite a creative cover in which a British passport is used as a title page. To get a sense of some of the sentiment expressed in the newsletter, I thought I would read out a poem from one of the issues to you now. This poem's author is not attributed, but I've selected it because it reflects the desire of many Bricks and Black Women's Groups members to strike out against sexism. It reads, I don't want to be a heartache, I don't want to be a pimp. I don't want to be the decorative posy which you wear tucked beneath your arm, a symbol of your male pride. 
I don't want to be no good time gal to whom you turn when the lights are out. Nah, I just want to be me. The me that shatters the image enshrined within virgin and whore. The me that sings songs of pain and joy. I'm letting myself go. Pimples, flat chest, mind and all. Discovering the me that adverts destroy. Stop me if you can. Towards the middle of the 1980s, the Bricks and Black Women's Group lost momentum, but is still remembered today as an important starting ground for contemporary Black British feminism. Well, we've come to the end of today's episode, but as per usual, I will leave you with an anecdote to chew on. Famously, the Women's Liberation Movement, or WLM, protested the 1970 Miss World contest in London. Viewing the contest as an outdated patriarchal competition, they threw flower bombs during the event. The event culminated with Jennifer Houston from Grenada winning the competition, the first black woman to win Miss World, and Pearl Jansen, the first black contestant from South Africa, coming second. Only four black women have won Miss World in its 70-year history. Jennifer Houston in 1970, Lisa Hanna for Jamaica in 1993, Agbani Darego for Nigeria in 2001, and Tony Singh for Jamaica in 2019. Comparatively, five black women have won the Miss Universe competition in its 69-year history. Reflecting on her experiences arriving in London for the competition, the first black Miss World, Jennifer Houston, had this to say in a documentary. Quote, First of all, you're marginalised as far as the media is concerned. They didn't even know where Grenada was. They were really expecting the Sweden and the USA and Miss England and so on to win. It helped us to stick together. The girls from Asia and the Caribbean and Africa, end quote. So it seems that the importance of solidarity between women of colour was not just something activists were realising in the 20th century, but beauty queens too. 